The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The state of stocks with inflation sticky, earnings looming, and rates once again rising. We'll ask the Investment Committee how to play all of that. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Shannon Sakosha, Jason Snipe, Jim Labenthal. Let's check the major averages. Carl said we're at the highs of the day. S&P's green, NASDAQ's green. You know, we're talking about modest gains there. Dow is modestly negative. We're going for five straight across the board in terms of uh, gains. Uh, and there's yields, too, 465 after that CPI report. So, you know, Shan, I feel like we have a push-pull going on in the market. Between higher for longer, is the Fed done? Is inflation coming down fast enough? Is the economy going to hang in there? And that's why we, we, we can't seem to get out of this, you know, near-term range that we've, we've been in. What, what do you think about that, you know, that part of the conversation, this push-pull? Yeah, there's an oscillation because, you know, earlier in the year, we were looking for the Fed to be done. And then there were concerns that the Fed would only be done if we were entering into a recessionary scenario. And so now we're not seeing evidence of recession. However, we also are seeing that the challenges of these long and variable lags and the structural and transitory forces that are keeping inflation, you know, higher than it Sticky, needs to be. Sticky, right? I mean, the PPI was a little hotter. Now you could say, well, the core was, was in line. And that's maybe matters more than anything. But nonetheless, both of these reports this week at least give you pause and say, is inflation coming down fast enough? Well, it's clearly not coming down fast enough if you think about trying to get to 3% for this year, which I think, you know, there were some pundits that were looking for that this year. You need to be, you know, 0.2% on core month over month to get to the numbers that we're looking for. And we're not there. The other challenge, Scott, and why you're seeing this oscillation is that the, the equity market in particular is looking for any sign that they can latch onto that they're absolutely 100% sure the Fed is done. Yeah. And between the jobs report, it's PPI, CPI, they're not getting that. Now, we could have all of the Fed speakers out there, you know, crafting this narrative that they're crafting, that the bond market's doing the work for us mm-hmm. and financial conditions are tight enough. That's not going to be good enough for the equity market to feel comfortable until that CME FedWatch number goes to a 0% probability for a hike this year. Jay, it's a good point, right? There's nothing definitive at this point to suggest that it's an all clear. Now, right. the challenge for all of you is, you know, oftentimes the market has already moved by the time you get the definitive all clear. So it's about anticipating where things are moving. Do you feel like you have enough vision to make a call in the way you want to invest on the, the way you think things are moving? 
So I would say this. I think one of the things that's been evident to me is clearly it's going to be a windy road down. You know, there's no doubt about that, right? So PPI was hotter than anticipated yesterday. CPI was hotter than anticipated today. Core was relatively in line. Um, but we saw some wage deflation last week. Obviously, it was a very strong jobs number. But the thing that, the thing that I think is really important to kind of to digest here is I think we're, we're heading into a new normal, you know, a new uh, interest rate cycle normality, mm-hmm. um, which I think is kind of important to digest what, okay, we've been in free, mar- free market error, free money error for a decade and some change. This is a new era. Um, I do think rates are, are peaking, but, I, but the most important piece, point for me is I believe they're stabilizing. Mm, and mm-hmm. what does that mean going forward? So I'm, I'm actually lean slightly bullish going into the rest of this quarter. See, I, I love how you put that because, you know, on the way in this morning, I was thinking about the, the market and this idea of after I saw, you know, what the CPI was, it's like, OK, you know, people who are more cautious, Jim, or, or just downright negative on the market suggest higher for longer is a, is a real potential problem. Then I was like, well, maybe it's just normal to Jason's word, maybe it's just normal for longer. Because the market has proven over time that it's not like, you know, four and a half or five percent interest rates or some, you know, incredible barrier for equities to to jump over. History's proven that. It's just we're so conditioned to think that well rates are supposed to be zero or barely above that because that's what they've been for the better part of the last almost 15 years. Right. So maybe normal for longer is the way we need to look at it. But you've portrayed all of this as sort of I positioned you as Jimmy Goldilocks. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But you've potentially have to deal with some bears. Yeah. And today out there today, the porridge is a little cold, Scott. I don't know, or hot, however you want, too hot, whatever you want to say. I mean, the CPI is not the piece of news that I was hoping for today. That, that on the margin, by the way, today's not a good day in the markets, okay? Don't be fooled by what the S&P 500 is doing. That's all tech. Look at small caps. Small caps down 1.4%. Look at the equal weight S&P 500 down about seven-tenths of a percent. It's not a good day. And the reason, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. That was a bad CPI report. It was, it was the anti-Goldilocks. Um, however, it's only one data point, and there are some other data points. Now, look, the bears, I've said this, Scott, they're not idiots. They're not idiots when they say things like, look at the yield curve and look at, look at higher for longer and look at where interest rates are. The bulls, like me, look at some other data points, okay, that are equally valid, like today's weekly jobless claims, which tells me that the consumer is employed going into the all-important uh, holiday spending season. And Shannon, you're absolutely right. It's going to be pretty hard to get down to 3.0% CPI. It is. Sure. However, if we're at Today, 3.7% CPI. Again, not happy about it. But what it really means, folks, is that disposable personal income is going up. The consumer is employed. Going into the all-important holiday season, there's going to be growth in this economy, and there's going to be growth in profits. So the bears aren't idiots. Neither are the, are the bulls. No, but you in feel a tie, like the bulls win. Oh, you think the bulls win? I was going to ask you if I was going to ask you if you if you think you you're too quick to try and latch onto a Goldilocks narrative. Um, because, as I said, you know, inflation's sticky, and yep, yep, yep. it may be too sticky for the Fed. Now, I don't know if they're going to do anything in November. I think the bar is like uh, to the sky, and the futures are so saying, high no. for them yeah. to do anything in, in November, just relative to what yields have done in their own right. But how about the idea of just being too quick to figure that it's, in, you know, I think if you say if you say Goldilocks, then that's pretty much all clear. Yeah, I felt good on Friday. I did. It felt good. I don't feel as good today. 
All that said, Scott, that doesn't upset my bullish sentiment here. And let me be very simple about this. We talk about GDP growth, whether Atlanta Fed is right or not. We've got good GDP growth right now. That correlates to top line revenue growth. That, that correlation is inarguable. What comes on top of that, though, you have to believe, if you're me, that margins are expanding. And frankly, it's not just that inflation's coming down that will help margins. God, I feel good when Shannon's nodding in agreement with me. You can't see it, folks, but it feels good. Um, but the other thing is CPI is so much more below where, where uh, excuse me, PPI is so much more below where CPI is, that's positive for margins. So the folks like me who are saying, yes, 12% earnings growth next year, we're looking at those margins and we're looking at those top lines. It makes sense to me. Uh, Steph, the tie goes to the bulls. I mean, that, that's how Jim put it. I mean, look, I don't know. Do you think the, the, the bear thesis, if you want to call it that, is just tired, that it's played out? Uh, yeah, I do, um, because in the face of higher interest rates, we have an economy that is actually much stronger than expected. And that is going to lead to better than expected earnings on the top line, and as Jim just mentioned, on the margin side. Companies have pricing power. They're focused on, they're madly focused on, uh, on restructuring and being lean um, and right-sizing when they need to. So I think the second quarter, I have, I have said, that is the a trough in earnings. And I think you're going to see something like 1% or 2% growth in the coming quarter. And I think that's why the market's been held back, because we have to wait for earnings. We have to wait for outlooks. And I think the outlooks are going to be conservative. They probably should be, right? Because we don't know a lot uh, into next year. We don't know what the, what the interest rate environment is going to, to lead to in terms of the economy. Uh, but for now, things are, um, I think we're in really good shape. Yeah, maybe it's Goldilocks. I don't know what, you, what, what whatever we want to call it, but we, we can handle the rates, uh, and that's where the bears were wrong. The bears thought that that we would be in a recession by now, and we actually are seeing an acceleration in the economy, which is really very very surprising. But the one comment I would make is that. Stephanie's not wrong in terms of the expectation that the interest rate sensitivity of the U.S. economy was significantly more coming into this year. But we also we were making a hypothesis that because we saw those rate cuts happen so much more quickly, that the normal course of rate cut transmission, which is generally 18 to 27 months, would happen faster. So I would say credit card delinquencies. We've rate hike. A rate, a rate, excuse hike. me, yes, rate hike it would become a lot faster from a transmission perspective. So we've got these credit card delinquencies. We're seeing a little bit more of that stress on the credit side. Maybe this is actually just happening as we would have anticipated and that that interest rate sensitivity is actually in the U.S. economy. Well, so it just you're hasn't in the camp that says yet. too soon. You're too soon to declare this as Goldilocks like Jim is suggesting this is and that we should be bullish. Well, you should be bullish or the people watching should be more bullish than they otherwise might be. I don't think we're at the nadir for certain parts of the economy. I think there's been boom bust cycles already within this cycle in certain parts of the economy. And so people have said, okay, well, look at manufacturing. We're seeing it right back on the upswing over the last couple of months. Maybe it troughed first. Maybe the consumer still has a little bit of room to go in terms of troughing sentiment and spending. And that comes in the first half of next year. I'm not saying that we're going to have a recession necessarily, but I'm saying that perhaps parts of the economy haven't troughed yet and that there are multiple cycles within this. Jason Snipe. Hey, Scott. Yes, yeah, Steph, go ahead. I was just going to say the most important number today, Jimmy uh, referenced it earlier, was the initial claims. And why that's important, you're at 205,000 uh, four-week moving average on the weekly initial claims. 
that bodes very well for the consumer. We've talked about the consumer being 75% of GDP. That's been the surprise. Everybody has thought that the consumer is going to roll over. They're not rolling over because there are plenty of jobs out there. And whether you look at the non-farm payrolls or the jolts, I look at initial claims as the leading indicator. That's been the surprise. We are far cry from a recession in the four-week moving average numbers. And it's really very important to focus on that. And as long as there are jobs and there are wages that are higher than average, that is a really big tailwind for this economy. And then you do have this manufacturing renaissance because of all of the onshoring that we've, uh, that we've talked about endlessly. So I just don't see us all of a sudden going from something like 3 4% GDP to zero in the next two, three quarters. I just, I, I absolutely do not see it. Yeah. Then there's the idea of what's going to happen tomorrow, obviously, earnings uh, kick off with, with the banks. Expectations have gotten better, higher. Um, estimates, as we'll show you again, we've showed the bar chart all week because it's relevant to where this story is, is expected to go after these three negative quarters in a row. We see it there. Um, and then you've got modest growth and then you have an acceleration in Q4. And then as you make the turn, um, the banks is where I want to focus because we have a bit of a battleground I think we can have here today. Um, Jason, you sold Bank of America. Okay. Stephanie Link has added to it yesterday which yeah. we discussed with her yesterday. Right. Um, Joe Terranova recently sold Morgan Stanley and Bank of America. Why did you sell it? So for me, as I look at, look at obviously, banking earnings are starting tomorrow. Um, I believe net interest income and net interest margins will be under pressure. Um, I do agree with some of the points that uh, the consumer is a little bit stronger than we have all anticipated, and maybe there is some extra juice there. Um, there's a lot of talk about late stage and all this other stuff, and financials typically don't do well in that cycle. Um, but for me, credit costs, unrealized loss across the curve, um, you know, I just felt like there's just better places to put my capital at this point. Um, and there's been a little bit of a run in the stock over the last few days. It's still down almost 9% um, over the last three months and down 20% year to date. So for me, it's just a matter of just looking at other areas of the market for opportunity. So, Steph, let's come back to you. For those who may not have heard your, your argument yesterday as to why you added to it in the face of what Jason suggests are significant potential headwinds. Yeah, but I think there are puts and takes in the financials. I lean towards capital markets, recovering, and wealth management. Uh, Bank of America, and I, by the way, I not only added to Bank of America, also Morgan Stanley. Bank of America down 18%. It trades at 0.85 times book value. You get a 3.5% dividend yield. Their capital levels are off the charts. Their CE to one, CET1 ratio is 100 basis points above the minimum of what is required. So the capital is fine. I think the quarter itself for the whole bank, so it's going to be mixed, right? You're going to have weak NNI, net interest income, weak net interest margin. But at the same time, fees in trading are going to be low single digits. I think investment banking is going to be less bad. It's still going to be down, but less bad sequentially. And the expense side of the equation for Bank of America, that's what they've been really good at at, uh, in the last several years under Brian Moynihan. Their expense, the number that we're looking for when they report is $15.8 billion for the full year, $63 billion. If they improve upon that, that comes in better than expected. The stock is going higher because you will see operating leverage as a result. But I mean, look, the consumer, as Brian Moynihan himself, gosh, I think it was with with Becky uh, a couple weeks ago, at most, uh, mm-hmm. I believe that was at the New York Economic Club, suggested the consumer is you know, still hanging in there, will help likely avert a recession. 
you get a soft landing. But he also said that the you know growth is slowing. Spending growth is slowing. Are you are you are you playing at all for for that trend? Yes, the consumer is still spending, but spending growth by the consumer is undoubtedly slowing, as he suggested. You're going up against very tough comparisons. He, he cited the 4% growth number year over year. That's still quite healthy. I, I look to um, American Express, which you know I own as well. Uh, it's, it's actually done a little bit better than expected, but they release August metrics, monthly metrics in terms of spending and loan growth and that sort of thing. And they're, they're in the double digits um, and net charge offs are very much under control. So look, I think that it's not perfect, but this stock is not per- priced for perfection, not at 0.85 times book value and not when I can get a dividend yield that's you know, pretty good, I think, at this point in time. So we'll have to see what they do. I think, again, the real story is going to be what they do on the expense side. I think the top line and, and the bottom line can come in a little bit better than expected. But again, I lean more towards capital markets recovering, which we are absolutely are seeing, and wealth management. And they are one of the leaders in wealth management. Yeah. Um, you know, modest improvement, I think, is fair to say in, in capital markets, Jimmy. You got City and you got JPM. You know, IPO window, when the door hasn't flung wide open, um, nor has deal-making no. uh, either. <laughs> Steph's playing that the trough has already happened, right? That's yeah. part of the idea. Um, but what about the banks as you head into earnings? Uh, okay, so you specifically said heading into earnings because time frame here is matters. I don't think tomorrow is going to be a great day for the banks. I think you're going to see, because for the last several years, you've seen bank CEOs, whether it's Mr. Moynihan, Mr. Diamond, Ms. Frazier, I can go down the list, they've been very conservative. And given everything that's been going on, they're probably going to take some pretty big loan loss reserves. And I suspect that tomorrow at the end of the day, if you click on any news site, folks, they're going to say billions of dollars of loan losses at banks, then it's going to be up there all weekend to scare you. Now, here's the point. Don't be scared, okay? What you have seen time and time again is that conservatism two quarters later flows through in the reversal of those loan loss reserves. It's vexing to a certain degree, but the only reason you would want to give in to that fear is if you thought that was the leading edge of a recession, which I'm not going to bore you again with the reasons why, but I don't think there's going to be a recession. And frankly, that's the paradigm for much of the markets. If your time frame is longer than a day or a week, the future looks pretty bright. Tomorrow could be a little shaky. Unless you think that we, we, you know, credit remains tight, it gets a little tighter, and that is a potential overhang and an issue for the banks. I really like the way you're phrasing this, okay, because what you're talking about is a garden variety risk. If you're going to invest in banks or any sector, you know there are risks like Is that garden variety risk? As opposed to a systematic risk. Now, where I think you might come back at me and say, well, what about commercial real estate? Is that going to be systematic? I'm not even suggesting a a systemic risk um, at all. I'm just simply suggesting an environment in which credit is tighter. Financial conditions are tighter. And that's not good for the banks and probably one of the reasons why these banks, at least stocks, haven't done very well. You just nailed it. Exactly. That's why they are where they are now. I don't think that what you're saying, which I agree with, by the way, that credit is going to slow slow the economy a little bit. I, I think that is more than reflected in these stocks, many of which are trading below book value, which would indicate that there are loan losses coming up that are going to decrease that book value substantially. I don't see that happening outside of a recession. I hear you. But, Shen, I've heard, you know, from from bank stock bulls for a, a long time, one of the biggest sales pitches is always well, they're trading below book value. Always. <laughs> Jimmy's laughing because he knows I, it's I true. I know it's true. Right? It's, I, the, it's one of the principal cases. Yeah. 
Well, at some point you have to say, well, maybe they're trading below book value for a reason. And what seems to be an opportunity is actually not. Now, I, I, you tell me. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a there's clearly dispersion in this universe right now, and I think you know we're not even talking about the regional banks, and I think that we're that's that's how we should keep it, uh, frankly, um, because if you look at what the yield the yield the shape of the yield curve does not support um, you know kind of a traditional um, you know taking deposits and and growing your loans on the backside of that. Uh, so really, what the you you talked about the capital markets and that they haven't really haven't really woken up, if you will. Um, and the last four IPOs, just I would caution our, our viewers, you know, don't take what's happened in the IPO market this year as indicative of, of, of what could happen next year. Um, these are the first forays, the first lobs into that. Don't, you know, don't get overly um, concerned about it. Um, but I think what you really need to look at is when you're looking at these banks, in particular big banks, what are the levers that they can pull in the other parts of their revenue streams that could potentially grow earnings in the next couple of years? And so I think that's why you're looking at more diversified names like JP Morgan versus maybe, you know, a Bank of America, you know, because I think that there is a lot more value to be afforded to the non-traditional banking aspects of those firms. And so trying to, to figure out which ones of those are going to be successful in an environment that we think is going to be a little bit more challenging requires a, a focus on those fundamentals. Well, I mean, JP Morgan, Stephanie Link, has just trounced everybody this year in terms of stock performance. It's up 14 percent year mm -hmm. to date. Okay, the, everybody else, other Wells Fargo's up one percent. Other than that, everything's negative. Why is J.P. Morgan so outperformed everybody else? Well, it massively underperformed last year, right? And and Wells Fargo actually massively overperformed. Um, I think J.P. Morgan is kind of the steady Eddie. Uh, we all know Jamie Dimon. We know the executive team. It, they're really uh, state of the art, obviously, and. Um, really very consistent. Uh, last year was an, uh, was unusual for them not to perform. Um, this year they're doing things better in terms of costs and probably taking some market share as well. I think they probably are taking more market share from the regional banks than from the other big five. Yeah, look at that stock as you see. Um, we just showed the chart uh, in the green. Let's talk about a couple other things uh, before we take our first break because we do have a few minutes to do that. Delta Airlines. Yeah. Beat. It's you. The stock was going to be our chart of the day. Um, not so great, though. What's yeah, up? No, it isn't. Um, worries about costs, worries about fuel, worries about labor costs. Now, I, I said this a minute ago. I, I hate to repeat myself, but those are garden variety risks that you take when you're in an airline stock. This stock trading at single digits is trading at that level on the presumption that there's going to be a recession and that demand's going to fall off like any day. And that's been going on for quite some time. Once again, Mr. Bastian, the CEO of Delta Airlines, came out and said, Demand is pretty darn good. And every indication, I look at TSA tra uh, throughput every day, there's just no sign uh, that, that air travel demand is going down. Stock's down 26% in three months. Yeah. In a period of time where air travel demand has been strong. It's unbelievably frustrating. I mean, I appreciate the gentleness with which you're, you're, you're giving me that. Um, I'm just it, pointing it out. I know, but it's, it's very frustrating. And again, it is, in my opinion, the market saying, we think there is a recession any day now and that you're going to be parking unused airliners in the Mojave Desert. I, I've made this case again and again, and for the most part, I've been right. I just don't see a recession anytime soon. People are employed. By the way, I talked about TSA throughput. International travel, in total, international travel has now gotten back above pre-pandemic levels. I hear you, Scott. Stock's been terribly disappointing. I think the market is simply getting it wrong in believing that we're on the precipice of a recession. 
At what point do you say, and I don't mean this in any yeah. other way than just asking you straight up, at what point do you say maybe I'm wrong? And the market's every not getting day. it wrong. Every day. No, I mean, in all seriousness. No, but, no, I am being, I'm being 100% serious. I think your question is, at what point do I throw in the towel? Well, at what point do you say I'm wrong? I mean, I, I'm tired yeah. of waiting for the market to get it, get it right when maybe the market is actually getting yeah. it right. I, I think basically I would have to personally believe that the, the probability of a recession goes above 50%. I think you're at a one in three, maybe a one in four probability. But if you get above 50% in my mind, chances of a recession, heck, you don't own airlines going into a recession. All right. Um, real quick before we take a break, PG&E. You bought yeah. that, right? New yeah. buy, utilities, really in focus over the last couple weeks. You want to hit that real quick? Uh, yeah, my, my portfolio, if you look at my disclosures, folks, you will see that like I don't have a lot of defensive stocks. I don't have much in Staples. We talked about Pepsi the other day. My analyst really gave me a hard time on that. Sorry, Ralph. But uh, PG&E is a turnaround story within the utility space. Remember, they went bankrupt a few years ago uh, with all the wildfires that are out there. They've done tremendous things to abate future wildfires. It looks like they're going to reinstate a dividend soon. And, you know, when we talk about EVs, like in California where every other car is an EV, that actually does place growing demand on the grid. So there is a growth story here as well. And at roughly 13 times earnings, I like that growth story. We will take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do our call of the day. One firm says buy the pullback in shares of a beaten down retail stock. We'll discuss it when the halftime report comes right back. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently, and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back. Let's talk about Target. It's our call of the day today. It was upgraded to a buy. Bank of America. So, Steph, the stock's been on a five-week losing streak. Um, It's on pace to break it, finally. What do you make of this call by Bank of America? Buy it. Risk-reward outlook has improved. Yeah, because the stock is down 25% year-to-date, and it trades at 14 times forward estimates, and it now yields 4%. So it's been a terrible stock year-to-date, but I do think the company is making progress uh, in terms of their inventory issues. Um, They have really reduced them, and I think going into next year, that sets up the company very well for better gross margins ahead uh, as they get better pricing power. Um, so I think hopefully uh, the analyst is right, um, and I, but I do agree. I mean, look, the stock is cheap, and there are some catalysts to have it um, outperform going forward. Um, I really do also like this 2 to $3 billion cost savings program as well. That gives them a little bit of leeway as well. So, you know, I think one of the biggest themes for retail has been that gross margins are starting to recover across the spectrum because of lower freight costs and lower input costs and better pricing. And this uh, and Target should actually benefit as well. You didn't mention anything about, you know, the, the boycotts, which have had an impact on the company's sales. 
And I'm just wondering if that's some something that's so existential um, for this company that it just doesn't recover from that. That the people who've decided they're not shopping yeah. at Target are not going to shop at Target. Period. End of story. I think it's the boycotts have, have died down a bit. Um, so I think it's more, I'm more concerned, quite frankly, if the, about theft. And can they get that under control? So that's the thing that worries me. But the boycotts, not so much. I mean, the, the stock already reflects a lot of that in, in, in the valuation at this point in time. Fundamentals eventually, Scott, will matter. Better sales, better re- uh, margins, better earnings and operating leverage going forward. Um, I think the CEO and team can deliver. They're very good executors. This was just a very challenging environment for retail sure. as a whole. Sure, but I mean, it's, I think it's a legit question though. You could be the greatest operator in the world. Sure. If you have a, a cohort of customers who just don't want to shop with you anymore, um, I don't care what Brian Moynihan nor team does, um, there's very little you can do to reverse that. Um, and I'm not sure that that story has fully played out. And I think it's one of the, the key risks that still exists, Steph. Well, I think that the expectations for I mean, uh, Cornell, traffic excuse me, I down. said Brian Moynihan. I meant Brian Cornell. Yeah. So, so, so traffic has been okay. I think it can improve given the very tough inventory actions that they took last year. I think transactions can improve. I think expectations for same-store sales are expected to be down 5%. So I think a lot of that is reflective in the numbers that are out there right now. What could go right is really the gross margin piece, and what could go right is they finally right-size the inventory, and that will help. Um, Sure, you're going to have people that don't shop there, but you are also going to have people that do shop there, especially given the new product lineup that they have. So... You know, it's an issue for sure. Does it ever get back to the multiple that it used to trade at? Maybe not. Maybe that's really the problem on mm-hmm. the boycott side. But I think at 12 times two, on a two-year stack basis, a lot of, lot of negativity in the, in the name. My apologies to both Brian's, <laughs> by the way. Do you have a take on this? I think the target challenge is going to be the middle-income consumer. Which way do they go next year? We, we are not seeing them trade down. Um, we're not seeing the higher-income households trade down. And they what higher-income households need to do is trade down into the middle of the store. Um, when Steph talks about gross margin, I could not agree with her more. That's the most important piece for Target next year. But I think that unless they can keep people in the middle of the store buying those discretionary items, mm-hmm. their gross margin is going to be under pressure. Okay. Let's get the headlines now from Contessa Brewer. Hi, Contessa. Hi there, Scott. In a speech today, Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas denounced the killing of civilians on both sides, and he asked for an immediate end to the aggression against Palestinian people. That call for peace comes as Abbas met with the King of Jordan today, and he is also expected to meet with Secretary of State Antony Blinken tomorrow. House Republicans are meeting behind closed doors again this afternoon amid the ongoing battle for Speaker. Republicans nominated Majority Leader Steve Scalise as the next Speaker, but there's division within the party, so it's not clear when temporary speaker Patrick McHenry will bring that vote to the floor. Community health centers across the country say they are still waiting for updated COVID vaccines weeks after the September rollout. Now, these clinics have had to prioritize limited doses for high-risk people while others are waiting for new shipment. An official at the National Association of Community Health Centers said a lot of locations are facing weeks-long wait times for vaccine orders. Scott, we'll keep our eye on that. All right. Appreciate that. Contessa Brewer, thank you very much. All right. We have a good segment coming up. I'm excited about this. So this year, I mean this year, today we are marking the closing bottom. Last October, we're going to look 
at what stocks have underperformed the most since the bottom. Committee members are going to have to defend their positions in them. And then we're going to look at the ones that have been rock stars from the bottom as well. And they'll decide whether they should take some profits because of those gains that they've seen over the last year. Again, as we mark the one-year anniversary of the closing bottom today, the intraday ones tomorrow, we're back after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, one year since the market bottom, and here's what I want to do. I told you we're going to make the committee members defend their positions in some of the stocks that have performed quite poorly. Jim Labenthal, um, MP Materials, yep. okay, down, 40, down 41.5% um, since the bottom last year on October 12th. That stock has not bottomed, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. Of course, but I didn't buy it a year ago, but still it's down. Understand. It's down from where I bought it. All right, what do you do? Yeah, you hang on to this. Okay, first off, why is it down? Um, And by the way, there are some stocks on this list that I'm going to tell you, and you know I'm going to sell. So this isn't defend every stock that's down. But this stock is down because of commodity pricing for Presidium and Niodium, which are the rare earth elements that it mines. It is also down because small caps have suffered mightily this year. However, this is not a 2023 story. It's not a six- or three-month story. This is a three-year story as we continue to delink from China. And as this company, which is already not only mining these ores, but refining them, and by the end of the year is going to be building magnets with those refined ores, which is going to be the critical step to cutting China out of the rare earth element supply chain. So these prices that we're talking about this year are irrelevant to where they should be three years from now, as it is the only real way to play this. Linus also, that's an Australian company, it's really the only way to play U.S. rare earth elements. All right, so you're sticking with it. Yes. Uh, Paramount. A dog. Down 37%. flea ridden dog. I mean, I, I, and look, let me not. Don't me, tell me no, you're no, going to no, say no, it's but. on me. It's on me. It's on. Let me just be clear. I mean, the color with which I'm speaking doesn't detract from the fact that this was my pick. I had a thesis on it. That thesis has been blown out of the water. What you do once the thesis is blown out of the water is you can fire sale it and sell it right now. It is way below what a third-party company would would pay for it in a private market transaction. Consolidation has to come to this industry. Paramount is an obvious choice. The reason it hasn't come so far is simply because of the screenwriter's strike and the actor's strike. That has had everybody on hold. The industry needs to consolidate. This is not the right price to sell it, but this is not a stock that I'm happy with. Okay. Steph, 3M, down 18%. What do we do? Um, I, I still like it. I think you have to have patience, though, um, for it. They're slowly settling their legal issues. Um, that's a good thing. I think that they are going to spin off their healthcare business. 
sometime in the early part of next year. You know I like spin, so it becomes a, a more simple kind of story to understand. Uh, and I think there's a lot of upside in terms of margins. They're really very depressed. They have a cost-cutting program going on. So I think there's a couple of things that could get the stock out of the doldrums, but it's not going to happen overnight. In the meantime, it's trading at 14 times uh, forward estimates, and um, there's only one buy on the street. There are 19 holds and two sells. So it can only go one way, I think, uh, on the way up. And mm -hmm. I think as they, they execute better and they do these various different things, company-specific, that the stock can recover. Jason Snipe, CVS, down 19%. Yeah, yeah. What do you do? Yeah, so clearly it's, it's been a very difficult year for CVS, down 23% actually year to date. But in the last three months, it's, it's, rel it's slightly above the flat line. Um, for me, as it relates to CVS, I look at what happened earlier in this year. I mean, the, the Oak Street acquisition as well as the Signify acquisitions, which I believe will be accretive to the stock in the long run. But I think the market has mispriced it throughout the year. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm still going to hold it. I'm going to be patient here. The PBM news out of California wasn't all, also wasn't great. And healthcare in general just hasn't performed. But I, I still like the stock going forward. We talk about winners. You have Arista Networks uh, up almost 90%. Yeah, yeah. Have you, have you taken any profits in it, or what's your view of it right here? Yeah, so to be to be perfectly clear, I didn't catch all of the run in, in it over the last year, but it has been up around 40% since we bought it. Um, and for me, it's a leading cloud network solutions provider. Um, they've been doing nothing but beating raising on the top and the bottom line over the last several quarters. And they have really taken advantage of this AI theme uh, that has played out well. And I think going into this year, a lot of folks were misplaying kind of the cloud growth and the spending there. And I think that's what's happened and they benefited from that. Steph, GE, we'll do another big winner. It's yeah. up 123% from the bottom. Uh, you're a longtime shareholder, as you've articulated your view many times on, on this show. But what about here? <laughs> Uh, well, maybe a little less compelling up here, but I still think that there, there are catalysts that uh, could occur that, that will help the stock. Um, first and foremost, you have one of the very best CEOs in the industry and a, and a great team, and they have executed really pretty well. Um, uh, so that's number one. Number two, I think it becomes a much simpler story with the spin-outs of GE Healthcare and then of their wind business. That's going to happen. The wind business is going to happen in the first quarter of next year. I think that can be a catalyst. And then you're really left with this um, state-of-the-art number one market share aviation company. Um, and so I think they can continue to execute and gain more share in the in the industry and uh, and generate up to seven billion in free cash flow. So. I don't know if I would be buying it today right here, but certainly on pullbacks, I would. All right, up next, Mike Santoli. He'll join us with his midday word. Halftime's back right after this. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli has joined us on the desk. What, what do you uh, think it's about this It's interesting. We have one of these days where we have, breadth is pretty lousy today. Yeah, uh, most stocks that. are down, yeah. and you have the indexes being protected by the, the usual big guys. Um, you have, uh, you know, the rotational move is there. Uh, you've yields up a little bit, uh, so nobody's getting spooked by it. We're, I guess we're still in a, a somewhat comfortable range. Volatility sort of draining out of the market after we get past the CPI, and now we're into earnings season. Why that matters to me for index level volatility always is that correlations go down, stocks move one by one as opposed to as a group. 
that seems like, uh, you know, an acceptable sort of setup right here as the market sort of goes through these tests. Um, not just the S&P 500, but a lot like small caps, the financial sector, they're all sort of rallying back up to, okay, this little downtrend is right there. Are we going to surmount it uh, or not? I think it's, uh, it's probably a plus that uh, we didn't take the excuse of a, just a tenth of a, a percent hot on headline CPI as a reason to back off. And, you know, $100 oil is not right at the doorstep. All the stuff you were scared about last week, including the seasonal uh, negatives, are, are out of the way. So we'll see what we can make of that. Which makes me believe that, as some have suggested on this program, that the mega caps alone and a good performance by them in earnings season may be enough because it was yeah. enough before and maybe it's enough now. Yeah, I mean, it would just make it that much harder to fight or remain underinvested mm-hmm. uh, and to decide that whatever bear scenario you believe for the economy or something else is here and now. Uh, I don't think we're ever really going to be liberated from the what's around the corner. Are we going to finally lose uh, this expansion or not? But you, for months at a time, you set those concerns aside. Yeah, yeah. I'll see you on Closing Bell. All right, All right that's Mike Santoli coming up. Battleground Netflix, that stock is dropping 16% over the last month. I mean, it's been a rough run for that stock. We've got targets being taken down ahead of earnings next week. We'll debate it next. All right, we're watching Netflix shares, as we said, down 16% over the past month. Jason Snyder, again, this week there was a story um, about, you know, ads, slow subs for the ad tier. You got the stock. What? What do you do with it? How concerned are you? It's still up 24% year to date. Yep. You can never forget it was double what it is now, right? It was a $700 stock. So let's always keep that in perspective, but what now? Got to keep that in perspective. So um, for me, as it relates to Netflix, I still believe, yes, the ad-supported tier, uh, you know, the guidance has been great. Clearly, they're not meeting the numbers that they had anticipated or expected to hit. Um, but I do believe there's so much upside potential there, um, as well as the, the password crackdown. I mean, there, there's still so many folks that they could monetize that they still haven't been able to do so yet. Um, and, you know, some of that has played out in the stock in the last month. But I believe that there, there's still upside potential going forward. It's been difficult over the last 30 days or so, but I still like the stock. You have a pretty good reset um, in terms of where Jeffries sees the stock going. Um, they really cut the price target to 445 from 520. Yeah. You know, that's a that's a sizable um, cut. Right. They still have it as a buy, right. but that's a big cut in stock. Now, I do wonder how you're thinking about going into earnings, whether you think that, you know, a lot of the bad news regarding that is already in the market yeah. and is already in the stock. So what great surprise to the downside is there still left to happen? Yeah, and I think that's a great point, Scott. I think a lot of that is already priced in. That's why we've seen a lot of the of, of the pullback over the last month or so. Um, and again, I think my, my focus is on the password crackdown, which I believe they'll start to monetize going forward, and the upside, again, for the lower tier ad-supported piece. Let's sneak in another stock. Uh, if we could, can we uh, look at shares of United Health, guys? Please, can you throw that up uh, for me? Um, because earnings are before the bell tomorrow. You want to take that too, Jason? Yeah, yeah. So I think I think what, as it relates to, to uh, UNH, I think the concern for me is utilization rates. You know, listen, uh, the employment 
Employment is very tight. You know, oftentimes a lot of the healthcare stocks, so the preventative care stock can do well. But if utilization rates are high, which they were last quarter, I think that will be a concern. But I do like the Optum business. I do think there's some other growth drivers there as well. So for me, I still like the stock. It's, it's performed relatively decently over the last three months. Healthcare as a whole hasn't done great mm-hmm. this year. But, but, but I still like this stock. I think it's a mainstay in our portfolio. Hasn't done great is an understatement. Yeah. Right? The you notice how he, taught, he, he pointed to me when he well, said I that? Did you get that? Did, Honestly, you, did you see that? I was going the anyway. Um, it's down 4%, okay? The sector is year-to-date, which was your stock summit sector. Yep. What, what do you think you got wrong when it comes to healthcare? Why hasn't it performed to the degree which you thought it would? I, what did I get wrong? Uh, a lot of things, obviously. No, I mean, I think it's been oscillation within the sector. I think that there's been a lot of, obviously, near-term pressure on diabetes stocks with everything that we're seeing from Ozempic mm-hmm. and the other weight loss drugs. Um, medical loss ratios in the managed care space um, have been higher, and I think uh, you know people are concerned about that. And just in general, that there's been a, an undervaluing, I think, of the demographic tailwind for this sector. Um, people are not that interested in this unless it's as a defensive sector, even though there are growth components to it. Okay. Final trades just after this break. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. 3 o'clock Eastern, closing bell. Hope you'll join me. Amy Kong with me today. Kate Rooney will have the very latest on the SBF trial. Boy, that testimony over the last few days has been just astonishing. We'll see what happens today in that courtroom just a few blocks from here. Ed Yardeni is with us as well as we track the final hour of trade. Do want to note a stock before we do final trade. Steph, do you see Broadcom? Today, I look down, I see it up near 5%. Yeah. It's having a great week, and then I saw some headlines moving um, about the VMware deal. China's state administration for market regulation expected to soon approve the acquisition with certain remedies. That's what's moving this stock, you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I like the deal. It's going to increase their software mix and the recurring revenue mix as well. So I think at 21 times forward our estimates, the stock is trading at a big discount to its peers. And I think you can see that multiple rise if mm-hmm. they do get the approval. What's your final trade, Steph? Uh, Amazon, Prime Day is going really well. AWS is stabilizing. And I think the retail margins are just getting going in terms of moving up. Jimmy Goldilocks, what about uh, you? You know, Cisco Systems is a Goldilocks stock. It's got great growth, less the drama of the S&P 500, a lot less than that. And this Splunk acquisition, I like a lot. Do you miss Farmer Jim? You want me to bring it back? <laughs> I, I, I think I prefer Farmer Jim. Okay. All right, All right. Jason Snipe. Palo Alto Network, cybersecurity continues to be a major theme. This stock just keeps going up. Shan. Uh, REITs, they've been up the last couple of days as yields have been down. The CRE destruction will not be as bad as people think. All right, see you in a couple hours. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer.
From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 